Well, hello, uh, Grace Commons. Uh, my name's Eric Hansen. I am one of the pastors here, and I'm going to be sharing just a little bit uh, personally before I invite the, uh, other, our other two pastors to come up and uh, share a little bit for the three of us together as we start off and kick off 2021. Um, we're about to start a series. In fact, I think on paper, this is the beginning of a series where uh, we are sort of examining some of the dangerous uh, prayers that we see in the scriptures. Things that even we might pray with somewhat regularity without thinking about what we're really asking. Things like, search me, O Lord. Cleanse me. Send me. Empower me. And uh, these are really beautiful, amazing uh, prayers that we come before the Lord and say those things to him, uh, especially in the act of uh, confession. We, uh, we say those things, some version of those things, almost every week in some way as we come together in prayer. And uh, as a point of confession, I think I'd like to start today um, and just tell you um, that I have I've been breaking one of my own primary understandings of what it means to be a Jesus follower uh, for the last couple of years off and on. And it feels like it's a really important place for us to start. You know, they, uh, they say that every, every preacher has something like seven good sermons in them that they just preach over and over and over again with different words. And I don't know exactly if that's true. I, I feel like I've, I've got a larger uh, repertoire than that. Maybe not. You can let me know what you think. But if I have one theme that I've wanted to come um, back to over and over and over again um, is how our addiction to activity gets in the way. I'm addicted to activity, um, activism, work, movement, energy. Uh, it's, it's like deeply part of who I think I'm supposed to be. And whenever we come to the scriptures, and especially when we pray some of the things that we're going to be talking about praying in January, that addiction probably is not the place where we should start. And so I'm I wanted to talk a little bit about that, but first I want to say just a very brief word of, of prayer and share a little bit from my own heart before I ask the pastors up. Let's, let's pray. Uh, so, Father, uh, we come before you at the beginning of 2021. And while uh, many of us say we don't have things we want to accomplish in 2021, we'd, um, we don't have resolutions, um, I, I think, Lord, I also know that many of us have things that we want to be true about us. We have activism deeply settled in us. Um, we have this sense of things we're supposed to be doing that we keep very private. And we pray, Lord, that your word to us today, that the scriptures as they're unfolded for us and what's shared from them will help us to recalibrate that. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be truly pleasing and acceptable in your sight. You are our Lord, Rock, and Redeemer. And all God's people said, Amen. So something that I've uh, said from very early on in my time here is we need to make sure we understand the indicative 
before we embrace the imperative. And those are sort of grammatical words you may or may not be familiar with and maybe not even accustomed to looking for them in the scriptures. But essentially the indicative is what are the things we just need to know that are true about us and are true about God? What's, what is indicative? What simply is just a settled matter? And then from that, we actually live our imperatives because of who God is, because of what God has made us to be, then we can act. But there's something about the human heart. There's actually something about my heart that switches those. Almost as quickly as I try to get the order right, I switch them back. And that order is something along the lines of, I have to work. I have to follow the commands. I I have to do something for me to achieve my indicative status. Does that ring a bell for you? When you really think about it, does that ring a bell? Is there something you feel like you need to do for God to accept you? It's a thing that I fight constantly and has been a really major theme for me this fall um, during this time of leave. I had to rediscover and rediscover again and rediscover again uh, the heart of God. And it'll be a thing that I I get to talk about a couple times during this series uh, in January. And I just want to show you one small little place where oftentimes we we read so quickly we miss it. Um, And that is uh, in, in Matthew where, uh, Matthew 11 actually, where, where Jesus says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Let's stop there. I want you to notice all the imperatives very quickly. Come to me, take my yoke, learn from me. And because we're Americans, and because we have this desire to be activists deeply embedded um, in our Um, broken hearts since the fall of humanity. That's where we fixate. And we miss something really important. And that thing is the next thing that Jesus says. After he says, learn from me, he says this, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And so often, my eyes just skip right over that that discovery of uh, who Jesus is. The indicative is Jesus is gentle and lowly in heart, which means he's willing to come in the flesh and stoop and swill with us. That's his heart. And it's because that's his heart, actually, that I want to point out to you that that's what makes it possible, actually, for us with any amount of trust at all to say something like, search me, cleanse me. Without this promise of the character and nature of Jesus, asking God to search us, to know us, to cleanse us, and to send us would be a terrifying proposition. But instead, what God wants us to discover over and over and over again at the very beginning is God, God is love. God is gentle. God is lowly. 
that might even sound in some ways kind of funny to, to hear. Instantly, we're like, no, God is magnificent and exalted and, and huge and, and, yep, and, or first, his heart is gentle and his heart is lowly. So whatever we come to him with, he's not surprised. So it just feels like a really important place uh, for us to start as we start this series. And, and you know, everyone has a sort of a slightly different way to talk about and think about this understanding of, of prayers and how they come out of a position of trust. And, and so for a second Sunday in a row, we're going to ask the rest of the pastors to come forward and to talk just a little bit about their own understanding about how we get to uh, pray these things. And yeah, come on in. Just take a seat. I'll keep on talking while you... Um, you know, what, what is it that makes it possible uh, for us to be able to pray these things? Um, it's important for us to know. So, um, I mean, I've, I've lots more I think I've discovered I could share, especially over the last couple of months. Um, but uh, I want to start with you uh, this, uh, this week, if, if you're ready. ready. Yeah. Like, when you think about sort of these really dangerous prayers um, and who we're praying them to, uh, maybe you could just share a little bit about what that makes you think of, what I've said and what you, your own understanding is of how to pray those things. Yeah, right on. Um, before I get to that, quick joke for you. Oh, gosh. Just, feels like a, a good time to mix it up. <laughs> what was the dumbest thing you bought in 2020? A calendar? <laughs> this year's going to be better because we're going to be praying some dangerous prayers. Yeah. All right. And so I, I love this, this theme we're on. Um, and, and just, I, I've said this before, I believe that bold prayers honor God. And I feel like uh, that's not to understate the praying for daily things and God's intimately involved in all the details of our lives. And I think it's important that we bring everything before the Lord. Um, but I think too often in my own life, I find that I get stuck uh, with smaller, safer prayers, and I don't go beyond what's comfortable. Uh, and this year, uh, my hope for us as a church, my hope for myself, is that I will, we will get beyond the current comfort zone uh, in our own life, because growth happens just on the outside edge of your comfort zone. So we want to be stepping out and, and thinking about what does it mean to engage with the Lord uh, in, in some of these prayers um, that aren't necessarily dangerous because of their magnitude, uh, but are dangerous because of what we're asking. We need to be careful uh, what we pray for, because when we say, God, search me, he will. When yeah. we say God cleanse me, he, he will. And that process isn't always painless, uh, but it's always fruitful. Uh, so I, I think I would just maybe kick off there. And um, yeah, I think God has some big things he wants to stir in our hearts. Um, yeah, I can't wait to see where he leads us. Right. Yeah, that idea that, uh, you know, if, if you pray that you want the Lord to search you and cleanse you, send you. you know, that's Get how, ready. That's how people <laughs> end up, you know, in the heart of Africa, yep. you know, 50 miles away from any other human being. Yep. Yeah, that's, that's missionary work yeah. right there. Good yeah. work. Yeah, good work. <laughs> Carl, as we think about jumping into this series and sort of what we would want to say about that, what are some of your thoughts? Yeah, it occurs to me that someone once said uh, that really all of us are theologians. All of us have a default understanding of God. Mm -hmm. And I think this shows up in the way we pray. If we think God is angry with us, we're going to pray or even not pray a certain way. If we think God is warm and loving and gracious, we're going to pray a different way. 
And so our theology of God really does shape the way we pray. And, and so does our posture, frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, I've thought about this. I mean, you know, if, we, so many of us are tempted to do what someone once called the uh, evangelical slump. We, we kind of pray like this, and it looks like we're about to get a spanking. <laughs> right. And yeah. uh, how much better to be able to pray with arms outstretched face up as so many of the Jewish people pray. Um, so really, our view of God shapes our prayers. And I don't know. I mean, I think, I think that as we move into the series, we're going to be challenged about what we think of God. Is God safe enough to be honest with? Mm-hmm. Can, we, uh, can we even be angry with God in prayer? I don't know if you guys remember that great movie, The Apostle with Robert Duvall. Oh, you remember yeah, that movie? Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember how he's upstairs really upset at God and he's, he's ranting and raving? Yes. It was one yeah. of the greatest moments on prayer in, in movies. Yeah. But what was so great about it was he was so free. So free and so intimate and trusting that God would receive even those kinds of prayers. So those were dangerous. Yeah. Anyway, I'm, I'm looking forward to this series. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that, uh, that image reminds me actually of another movie, uh, Lieutenant Dan in Forrest Gump. Yes. Remember, like he's up on the, on the boat. He's just in the <laughs> storm, just screaming like... Is that all you've got? Is that all you've got? I love that. And, you know, God's obviously big enough. Like, he's untroubled by our trouble. Mm, I mean, I think that's that's one of the things we want to say. You know, God's God's not troubled by the things that that trouble us. Um, So we're going to come to the table in in just a second. Uh, But before we do, um, I want to just, I want to share one more thing. I want to show you one more, one more thing. Um, Like, just the impulse of, of who God is. Uh, before we before we come to the table, because what we see actually in the table is a is a version of this that I'll talk about in a second. Um, but we again, I just, we can't get it out of us. Like as soon as we think that we are coming close to God, we like, and now I have to, I now I have to earn it. I got to earn it. I got to keep it. And it's um, it it's part of the ongoing product actually of human sin, even once we've been forgiven. This desire to try to now prove what we already have. And, or to re-earn what we already have. And I just want to show you this one small little thing that a friend of mine showed me from Ephesians chapter 2, which uh, is a chapter of the Bible that I, I've always loved and I've always missed this one this little thing. So I'm always looking for all the application points of things I'm supposed to do kind of around it. So let me just let me read this to you. This is, uh, again, Ephesians chapter 2. And um, it's just a small little thing. Uh, verse 6 I'll start um, halfway through verse 5, if you want to follow along. Um, Friends, it is by grace you have been saved. Sounds like, yep, got that one. But then this, um, Christ raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's the first thing. What happens when we're saved? We are brought up into God's presence. He's seated, like we're, we're seated with him. We're invited into fellowship with him, regardless of whatever our story is or was or will be. We have a really interesting position to be seated with Christ. And I just, I, too often I, I overlook that. And I go straight to God has prepared good works, works for me, and which quickly becomes, mm. I have to do good works so that I can continue to be saved. And as we think about these prayers, as we think about this, uh, our life together in, in 2021, I, I really want us to be in a different place, in a different posture, where again, we're seeking to learn as often as we can. The indicative is you have been saved by grace and you've been raised up. What are you supposed to do? 
sit with Christ. That's first. And I'm still learning that, and we'll probably be learning that for years and years and decades, um, but it feels like it's really important. If we're going to trust the character of God, the first thing we need to know is God has already saved us. Yeah. He's gentle and lowly, and He loves us so much. He's going to give us pride of place we don't deserve, and we're never going to earn it. We have it. And that's not unlike what's sort of actually declared at this table. Like, right, this table, again, is, is one of those places where what we see simply is Jesus sitting with his disciples in the upper room. He's called them up. He said, come into this upper room. Let's have and share this meal together. Let's, let's do this. And, and he sits them and he shares and he says, let, let me share my heart with you. Let me show you some of the most true things I want you to know about me. And those things are actually not about the mysterious magnificence of God that we can never understand. They're not about the sheer volume of his power. No, instead he takes something very simple, very approachable. He says, come here, come here. I want to show you this. This is what I want you to know. And he took some bread and he, and he blessed it and he broke it and he said, this is my body. This is what I want you to know. It's been broken for you. For you. What did you have to do? I simply am broken for you. And then after the supper, to show them even more, he, he took this cup and he poured it out. He said, this cup is the cup of the new covenant, the new promise, which is shed in my blood for the forgiveness of your sins. It's just been shed. What did you have to do? But now you can have a life of fullness and nourishment and forgiveness. Friends, when we pray dangerous prayers, it starts here. It starts with the promise of who we already are in Christ. It starts with the confidence that the one who's going to search us, cleanse us, know us, send us, speak to us, empower us, has already done all the work for us. It's been an important thing for me to remember and re-embrace um, during this time in the fall. And just a minute after I pray, we're going to give you some time. We're going to invite you to share the, uh, the communion elements that you have in your home. And I hope what you'll do is you'll simply take this bread and you'll, you'll pass it one by one. Or maybe you'll have one person serve everyone else and simply say, this is the body of Christ broken for you. And then you'll take the cup and you'll pass it around. Or maybe someone will just hold it and everyone else will get to dip and say, this is the blood of Christ poured out for you. And then when you're done, you can join in song or continue to worship in silence uh, but for now, let me pray for us. So Lord, we thank you for these simple elements that are themselves a declaration of the gospel, that there is something that is simple and elegant in store for us, that you've come to simply offer yourself to us, to nourish us and strengthen us in ways that we could not imagine. And Lord, a simple bread and cup means it's really available to everybody including those who are watching, who are sure that they are the farthest away, who are sure they are the farthest off, who would never in a million years imagine they would ever want God to know them all the way to the core.
And yet, Lord, here it is, simple bread and cup, saying that you love us, that you are gentle and lowly, and that you've come uh, to give us a new position with you. Not that we have to earn it, but that in the gifts of Christ, we already have it. Holy Spirit, as this communion gets shared uh, throughout the county and country, would you visit every home and give them this assurance as they take the bread and the cup that you are with them, that you have raised them up, that they are seated with you, that they need not worry. It is in the strong name of the born and now risen Christ that we pray. Amen.